from the very top, you know, from the secretary down through every model administrator down to the IT folks, everyone involved, we just all came together and said, okay, this is the mission. So it's really, again, a success story of the secretary's vision three years ago, getting us to where we are today with a modernization plan of shared services. And then as we you know, sit here today, everything's running great. That's a real testament to all of the government departments and leaders who had to face a new reality, send everyone home and say, but we've got to keep the mission rolling. So I think it's a great story. The unique ability of government IT operations to ensure the delivery of vital services to citizens has formed the backbone of the larger federal pandemic response. Meritalk is chronicling the untold stories of that effort. Welcome to the Meritalk podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT and the COVID Crisis. In this chapter, we take a look at the Department of Transportation, or DOT. This episode is brought to you by Google. Cars, trucks, planes, trains, ships, buses, subways, and drones. If it moves under motor power in the public space, it's a good bet that it's under the purview of the Department of Transportation. But how do you take 55,000 DOT employees and send them home to take care of that job remotely? In an exclusive interview with Meritalk, DOT CIO Ryan Coat credits foresight by agency leadership over the past three years to break down multiple interagency IT silos and invest in modernization. Add to that VPN capacity expansions, extensive system testing, and employee training in the run-up to the pandemic. The payoff? An immediate increase to 100% telework-ready status, up from 40%. So, Ryan, as the CIO of a large federal agency with an incredibly diverse mission, what have been some of your largest priorities and successes during the last three months? What are you most proud of? For me... I guess I'll start with the with the proudest part of it, and, and that is that the mission of the Department of Transportation has absolutely gone on, and we have continued to execute that mission, I would say, without any disruption, and in fact, we are operating at a higher level today than pre-COVID, I believe, because, again, we were able to leverage the technology we had in place and, and increase it and improve it to where people were able to go home when we went to maximum telework and and the technology just simply worked instantly and we were able to stay connected we were able to stay in touch with email and and teleconferencing and and video and every other platform that we provide as a service to the department and so the mission has continued and the mission really increased right with with the first big cares act money that came out of congress we were given a lot of extra responsibility in transportation sector, you know, especially with federal transit authority and FAA and airports and, and all the modes really, they had new money that they had to disperse in, in a hurry from the very top, you know, from the secretary down through every mode, mode administrator down to the IT folks, everyone involved, we just all came together. And the largest priorities, you know, for, for us, aside from continuing to execute on the needs of the department, from an IT perspective, I guess, or at least from the CIO's office, has been that the technology is always available and that it's robust, it's resilient, and that it's, it's secured, right? So 
one of our biggest priorities immediately when we went to maximum telework was a rethinking of cybersecurity and a rethinking of, of the network because we had been primarily an agency for many years that that had built an inside out network, right? Where most of the people come into offices, they work from behind firewalls and they work from behind a secured network. And we're able to protect a lot of what they did by virtue of the fact that they were inside our network. Well, now everyone's outside of the network for the most part. And what we're relying on are connections from home based offices, which are a myriad of different types from every different ISP out there. And in some cases, they're using government-issued equipment, but in some cases, they're using personal equipment when we might connect on a VDI connection, for instance, and, and just give them a, a virtual instance of compute from the cloud, but they're using a different device. So we had to really rethink cyber and rethink, okay, how are we going to make sure that the work they're doing is as, as safe as it can be? So looking at different ideas around encryption and pushing out a CASB and pushing out SD-WAN and saying, you know, the mission again has to continue. The systems have to continue to be accessed. We had a lot of success in that, you know. From the earliest days, we switched from being about 40% telework ready to 100% telework ready in under 10 days by virtue of the fact that we were able to add a lot of bandwidth to our circuits and then add a lot of VPN licensing for connections on infrastructures that already existed. And, and that really is a success story that goes back three years ago when the secretary you know, came to transportation. She looked at the current setup at the time and realized that all of the modes of transportation there had very siloed IT departments. And she said, you know, I think we should move to a shared services model and we need to consolidate. And there's no reason to have nine of everything, nine help desks and nine networks and, you know, nine app dev shops and nine of everything. So it really was her vision for shared services three years ago that brought us to the point we are today because the network now is collapsed into one and the cloud is collapsed into one and storage and compute, everything we have, we were able over the last three years to get our hands around it and manage it and be on this modernization journey, which got us to this point where two and a half or three months ago or so we said, Hey, we need to do this. We were able to do it with just one flip of the switch instead of trying to do it in nine different places. As we you know, sit here today, I'm happy to say, you know, knock on wood, that everything's running great. The, the networks are robust and secure. Everyone working from home is able to connect every day. And again, I've seen no decrease at all whatsoever in, in productivity. And in fact, I think it's, it's increased because people have risen to the challenge. What has surprised you the most over the last few months? The greatest uh, really pleasant surprise for us at, at the CIO's office has been just our users and their lightning quick ability to adapt to a new reality. The move from working in the office to working at home and teleworking is just one of those things that some people have a hard time adjusting to because it's just change, right? People sometimes have a hard time adjusting to change when it's voluntary change. Well, in this case, the change just happened. Everyone had the technology they needed. They got the laptops they needed. We got the connectivity sorted out. Everyone was now faced with this new reality. We've really sort of tripled uh, the number of connections we're seeing every day and the number of applications we are tracking in terms of teleconferencing calls and video calls and Microsoft team calls and zoom calls. Those numbers are just through the roof as far as the, the adoption rate of people using uh, just a different way of communicating. Right. 
Are there any other metrics you can share? I know we have released a lot of regulation and policy and rulemaking as it relates to highways and trucking and rail and transit and you name it. It, it, The work of the department just has continued. So that's one measure of success. From from the narrower view, you know, again, of of the CIO's office, the greatest thing that I've seen is this rapid adoption of technology, right? Again, whether it's ZoomGov platform or the Microsoft Teams platform or, or any other platform, we have just seen the number of calls placed each day and the number of video meetings taking place every day and the number of calls and chats and everything else. It's just absolutely through the roof. So that means your users are using the technology that you're providing. They are absolutely using the platforms and they're continuing the communication through these virtual enterprise, you know, solutions. So that's exciting. And again, that the stuff we track is, you know, mobile, right? We're seeing a huge increase in our mobile minutes. People are using their phones a lot more, whether it's for email or for voice calls, data calls, and Microsoft Teams, you know, for mobile, we're seeing a huge spike in the use of that. The adoption rate and the usage rate of all of these tools has, has in some cases tripled, in some cases quadrupled and and in some cases has increased by a factor of 10. So everything is up except excitingly, not the service desk request, right? Our service desk is doing great. We had a a bit of a spike early on when everyone transitioned home, people needed a little more help, right? They needed to understand how do I launch a VDI session or how do I connect VPN? Do I use my PIV card? Do I use my username and credentials? And And so our service desk help tickets request really spiked for about two weeks, but then everyone got it figured out. And now our service numbers are actually down and our help desk is seeing a less need for users to request support. And, and so that's encouraging. What's the biggest lesson you've learned over the last three months? This is just a very personal answer because this is germane to my personal situation, but you know, I'm in government for the first time in my life, right? I came from the private sector and came to transportation to be a CIO. And so this is all very new to me. And I've been adjusting to that, the new reality of what it means to work for the federal government. And there've been a lot of challenges adapting my private sector mindset and thinking to the way the government has to operate. Not that that's a negative, right? The government does things differently. They, They have to for a variety of reasons. And it's a different mission, right? When you work in the private sector, your mission is capitalism and profit, right? So you can pay your workers' salaries and continue on as a company. Well, in government, the mission is very different. It's about public safety in this case and and saving lives and transportation and, and all that we do. So it was an adjustment for me. My personal greatest lesson in this is that I've been able to learn to trust my people in a much greater way. We needed to function at a high level at great speed. And I had to delegate a lot of things that I might have otherwise felt like, you know, maybe I need to keep my hand on this or keep an eye on this or take a personal involvement in this. And I was able to take my most direct team of folks and just delegate these things and said, look, we don't have a choice but to execute on these. And here you go. Own these things, run them to ground, be responsible for them, report back to me when they're done. And we're going to get these things accomplished and people are going to go home and go to work. And it happened. It just happened in every case. It's a 100% you know, success rate on the things that we had to get done in the time we had to do them. Okay, so considering your pandemic experience now, what advice might you have given yourself three months ago? Again, I, I'll fall back on a little bit of my previous answer, and that is you know, relax a little bit. Trust your people that they can execute what they need to execute. 
and don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to try to micromanage this. Let your people do what they have to do and, and they'll be successful. And the other advice I guess would be, even though I think we've done a good job of communicating to our user community, I would say do a little better job, work even harder at communicating because that was the greatest challenge for us. Again, as we sort of lost touch, I can recall actually anecdotally this conversation one day it's late February, early March when all of this is beginning to take place and rumors are starting to swirl throughout the building, right? That we might all have to work from home. And I was riding in an elevator one day in the building with two individuals who were having a conversation about this very thing. And they didn't know who I was. And they said, oh yeah, we're all going to get sent home and the technology won't work, right? The VPN licenses won't work. This won't work. We won't be able to connect. We're going to be stuck at home, isolated. And oh, it's the end of the world sort of thing. They were having a very negative conversation. And I just stopped them and I said, excuse me, you know, I don't mean to butt into your conversation here, but actually I think we're going to be fine. I introduced myself. I said, I'm the CIO. I said, you know, we've been doing a lot of work over the last week to increase the bandwidth of our circuits and increase our licenses. And we've been testing the heck out of this thing. And we think we're going to be able to send every employee home and everybody's going to be able to connect and that we're going to be just fine. They looked at me like, oh, first of all, oh my gosh, I just said this in front of the CIO that his tech stack doesn't work, right? But then at the same time, they looked at me and said, you know, like, wow, really? Like, we had no idea that we're actually that prepared. It was fun in a way, but that sort of reminded me again, I could have done a better job probably in communicating to the people to be more at ease with this unknown situation that we're facing. So are there any portions of the DOT workforce that can't work from home? And are there any IT adjustments for them? The first one that comes to mind, of course, is in the FAA and the air traffic controllers. And of course, they have to be at their stations in the towers working. And we have been very diligent from day one about that and keeping the air traffic controller workforce safe, using good distancing procedures in the towers and and rotating staff in and out. And that has really worked well. We've had very few instances of illnesses with air traffic controllers and very few instances having to curtail any sort of air operations because of that. And then as it relates directly to IT, of course, you're right. We have some people that just can't work from home. We have system administrators and data center administrators and people that sometimes just need to be near the technology. And for them, we've done the same thing. And when they're not on-site working at the tech locations, of course, then they can work from home and do remote sysadmin work. The total population of DOT, 55,000 employees, and in offices, CIO and technical folks, you know, is in the couple thousand range. The people that are really still coming from their homes to work in our technical uh, jobs are a few dozen at best. What keeps you up at night regarding cybersecurity? So, yeah, there's no, no question we've seen an increase It came at us in a huge wave initially with phishing emails. So we, of course, ramped up the fight against that with communications to our users about being on the lookout for these emails. Just don't click on that link. And beyond that first wave of sort of the email-based attacks, we saw a lot of probing on the network again because people know now that the network topology has changed. And again, we've got all these remote users connecting via VPN. And they're trying to scan our networks to see what that new topology looks like and see where they might have vulnerabilities that exist. And again, fortunately, we're able to see those things when they happen and stop them in real time. And what I worry about is that we miss that one sniper shot, right? Where the guy 
got an email through, got a user to click on it, got a little bit of malware on an endpoint and we miss it. And then it begins to be persistent and lingers there. And then it might spread a little bit further than we'd like before we discover it, right? You know, we'd always like more money in the budget for cyber. We'd like more tools. We'd like greater capabilities, but we have to fight the battle with the means we have today at hand. And we think we're doing the best we can. Right. So how have you relied on the CDM program? They're fantastic partners for us. They have a lot of great tools and a lot of great assistance. Anytime we ask for their help, they are immediately responsive and fantastic. The one thing we're going to do more of, and I, and I think other CIOs as well, and I wish we'd maybe done more earlier, is, is take advantage of their ability to vet solutions and test solutions for us and provide us with solutions, right? They have been given specific dollars to help CIOs like me find next-gen tools. And so they'll give us the budget, give us the money and, and stand up a test for us and say, all right, let's, let's try this tool. Let's try that tool as it best suits your network or your environment or your risks. And we'll pay for it, you know, for the first year. And, and let's see if it's a fit. It's a lot faster for us to go to CDM and say, hey, let's stand up a, a proof of concept here and put this tool to work for me tomorrow instead of taking it through the normal government acquisition process and having to wait perhaps, you know, six, 12 months to get something running. Okay, so speaking of collaboration and communication across agencies, how would you rate the intergovernment collaboration and communication at this time? Are there more opportunities? Well, I would begin, I think, by grading it with an A. No doubt we've had great collaboration here. You know, Suzette Kent at the federal CIO level there has been leading from the beginning, from the front, and has initially stood up, you know, what became a daily call for all federal CIOs to get on the phone. And federal CISOs, we've scaled that back to, I think it began to go to three days a week, and now maybe it's at two days a week. But it continues, and it's ongoing, and it's, it's a great place where we collaborate and share successes and share you know, struggles and lessons learned. We at DOT are on calls every day with other government agencies as it relates to mission and as it relates to COVID and CARES Act and all these different things. Um, of course, we in my office as CIO have had daily calls. Again, I know just by membership in the community of federal CIOs that begins at, at Suzette's level and that CIO council, that if I need anything, I can call any one of my colleagues. And again, I know that's happening at a higher level above us as well. And that's a real testament to all of the government departments and leaders who had to face a new reality, send everyone home and say, but we've got to keep the mission rolling. So I think it's a great story. Can you tell us a little bit about your days in the first week of the crisis and how have your days changed since then? Well, my life personally hasn't changed much. I, I have a family and wife and kids live back in Michigan and I travel to DC every week and work, usually travel home on the weekends. So that stayed the same. My schedule really stayed the same. I've been able to keep flying, keep the commute going and get home on the weekends to see my family and come back to DC every Sunday night. It did change a lot though in the office. We saw a massive increase in the first couple of weeks, just in the workload. The days got longer, certainly. The meetings on my calendars got packed in tighter. And I found myself, you know, like everyone else that was still coming into the building at the time, you know, just working longer days and longer hours. And whereas nights might have ended before at 6 or 7 o'clock, now they ended at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. What systems do you think have worked best? Are there lessons learned that you can share, I don't know, around... IT community, cloud, or authentication, for example? 
the things that have worked the best, right, are the things that we've adopted slowly and gradually over the last decade. And that's the entire IT community. As we've shifted to the cloud and we've shifted to SaaS based applications, right? Whether you're using Microsoft Office 365 in the cloud or you're using Salesforce or you're using Oracle or any of the other cloud-based applications, the beauty of them is that you can reach them from anywhere. Everything's in your browser. I'm really sort of glad that, that all the visionaries of 10 years ago have pushed us to the cloud because it's certainly a better solution today when we're faced with maximum telework and everyone coming from their home internet connection, and I can send them straight to that cloud SaaS solution, making sure it's encrypted, of course, and making sure it's secure, but I don't have to route everyone into my network and into my data centers and onto my servers to find my applications. It's certainly a more powerful and robust and resilient model. Any shout outs to your team members at DOT or others across the government? Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would give a shout out to everyone. And it starts with Secretary Elaine Chow and her leadership. She has just been fantastic during this time, present all the time, still there, still working, doing everything she can to keep the mission moving. And then everyone else from the top down, the, the modal administrators of all the modes, their staffs, my senior IT team, of course, have been just fantastic. We were faced with really an unprecedented and historic sort of moment. But the mission has continued. And it, again, it starts at the top and goes all the way to the bottom. Everyone has pulled their weight and has responded. Again, they've picked up these tools. They've learned new things. They've pushed themselves, challenged themselves. You know, we conduct almost daily training classes on Microsoft Teams and, and other collaboration platforms. And the classes are full every day. People are coming because they want to learn. They want to stay connected. They want to stay involved. And uh, again, it's just a fantastic testament to the entire team of the Department of Transportation. The government it takes a lot of attacks a lot of times, right? And a lot of criticism. People throw a lot of barbs at the government and say that it's not good at this and it's inefficient at that. But know that there are really, really fantastic people who are working in the government, who are trying their very best every day to serve this country and to do the mission of these departments, right? And, and I can only really speak to the Department of Transportation, but I can tell you that there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people who go to work every day and they do it out of service. They, they love their country, they love the mission of the department, and they love the idea that their work matters and that they're saving lives whether it's in the air or on the roads or on the rails or transit or highways, truckers, they love what they do. They're passionate about what they do and they do a fantastic job. So we are doing our very best. So people should know that. And again, I would just like to take the opportunity again, thank the people that I work with, thank my colleagues at the department and thank all the IT people in the office of the CIO who work for me. And I'm grateful for the colleagues I have to work with. I'm grateful for the team that follows me every day as I'm trying to lead this department towards, you know, technology modernization and and greater strength and resiliency in the technology stack. And so, again, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, grateful that I work with great people and, you know, I appreciate all the support that we have from the community as we're doing this. So, Ryan, what do you think will change in our government, in our society, moving forward as a result of this pandemic? Telework is the new normal, maybe. Many people, even myself included years ago, and were skeptical of telework. And so there was a trust issue there. 
And I think we've broken through that barrier. I think that's the new reality. A lot of people will, will maybe never go back to the office. We'll have a lot of telework be forever that we never had before. And as it relates specifically to government, I think we'll sort of have a hybrid of that. I hope what happens is maybe the government can look at it as an opportunity to rethink where they base their employees and how they model their organizations. I would hope someone at GSA or OMB or a combination thereof is looking at that and saying, okay, let's see if we can't send people home and have telework forever and, and eliminate some of the cost of physical structures or leases and buildings. Or I would mm-hmm. think that would be a logical step for government. And again, I think we'll continue to look at this new reality as an advantage as it relates to talent, right? So one of the greatest challenges with government, we know, is attracting top talent from the private sector to come and work for government. Two reasons. One is generally we don't pay as well as the private sector. And two, we oftentimes tell people you have to move to Washington, D.C., where the cost of living is very high. And so I hope this makes us rethink attracting top talent letting them work for the government, but letting them work from somewhere outside D.C. How might you and your team function in a world that doesn't have regular tech industry conferences? How would you envision interacting with the industry, finding out what they have going on, looking at products, meeting people? I would say, first of all, I hope that they survive and continue. I actually find them very valuable. You know, they are a great platform for networking and communicating and meeting people and hearing new ideas and even just personally and professionally, you know, recharging yourself, reinvigorating your desire to work in the industry by collaborating with thousands of colleagues at these conferences. And in fact, I'll take this opportunity if you let me to publicly apologize to everyone who is sending me emails and reaching out to me through LinkedIn, trying to get my attention to talk to them about a product or a solution. I, I'm sorry that I cannot respond to all of these, but as you know, I, I just can't. And, and I would love to personally respond to everyone and thank them, but the numbers and the volumes just don't make that possible. And these are the people, again, who I would normally meet at conferences and we could have a conversation and they could give me a business card. And there's just something, you know, about shaking someone's hand, looking them in the eye and hearing their story, whether they're a, a brand new startup that's been around three months or they're an established company that's been around 30 years and they have a new solution. There's just something about hearing that story and, and hearing the passion that person has for why they want to help you that it just helps. There's no question. Today, we've been talking to Department of Transportation CIO Ryan Cote. Ryan, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us today. Yeah, thanks for the time and the opportunity. I appreciate this. And thank you, listeners, for joining Meritalk's podcast series, CIO Crossroads, Federal IT in the COVID Crisis. We hope you'll continue to join us as we take a look at Federal IT's reaction to the crisis, the challenges faced along the way, and ultimately, the success stories that have kept America rolling. This episode was brought to you by Google.